Hey, before we begin this morning with my with, with the sermon, I want to invite you to join me in prayer this morning. Um, I know there's always so many different needs that we have, and we, we pray for those regularly. We know when you guys, on your, your cards, if you're a guest with us, um, there's a card there you can fill in that says uh, who you are, but also on that card is our prayer request card. And when you turn those into the church, um, we pray for those every Tuesday. But sometimes a prayer request comes like on a Sunday morning, and it's just it's really serious, and we need to pray for it. And so most of you know that Gary Osland, who normally you know, sits right there and plays his guitar right here, had serious back surgery two weeks ago, um, like reconstruction in his lower back. And it's, his recovery has gone really badly. And um, Suzanne and I were up to see him. I know Pastor Paul was up to see him. We were up to see him at a rehab center, um, like a nursing home facility, um, on Thursday. And he wasn't doing well. And on Thursday, um, he had not been able to, in two weeks, he cannot stand up. His legs, his brain, the signals to his brain aren't working to his legs somehow, and, and they're doing different things to try to make that work. And so he's basically, um, and so he's weeks, and you know, Gary is a, is a big guy, he's kind of hard to get up, and, um, um, and so he's been having some real struggles with that. And so um, yesterday, they had to transfer him from there to, they took him to the hospital at the emergency room in Sheboygan, and from there by ambulance down to... Um, Mount Sinai Hospital in Milwaukee because he has a number of blood clots in his legs and in his lungs and they're going in today to um, do to open his back back up and so we've been texting Suzanne's been texting this morning with Debbie and so I'm just going to ask you before we look at it he's you know we're a family right and I, you know I always think about the original church the early church the early church would not have been it wouldn't have been a performance. And it would, I mean, and we do this because the larger you get, the more you have to put organ, have it organized to make sense, right? Um, and so I'm not against doing things a certain way. But I never want to get past the reality that we're just a family. And when our family hurts, Scripture says when one of us hurts, we all hurt. When one, we rejoice with one who rejoices, and we, we weep with one who weeps. And so we want to pray for Gary and Debbie. I said to Debbie when we were in the, in the, in the uh, um, rehab center with them, I said, how can we pray for you? What's going on with you? And, and it was visible. You could see in her face. She said, thank you for asking. Because she's like, I'm just exhausted. Because it's been just two really hard weeks. And so would you just join me in praying? Father, um, we're just your kids. And Lord, we come here and we're not putting on a show. We don't want to put on a show. We're just your kids. We've somehow heard your voice in this world of all these voices, we have heard your voice and your call to us to follow you. And Lord, we, we realize, we experience you in the moments of worship. We experience you in this place. We experience you in our lives because you're here and you're everywhere. But we experience you also in your word, maybe the main way we learn about you, Father. And, and in your word, what we see is Jesus, you are every bit as alive and functioning and doing as you were when you walked the, the, the streets of this world. And when you were here in the streets of this earth, you would lay hands on the sick God, and Jesus, they'd get better. And, and you would speak to someone who was ill, and they'd get better. And, and Lord, we see that in the gospel message you give us, you tell us that as, as you did those things, that somehow you would work through your church. Lord, and you would do it, and we admit we don't understand it because we pray and we pray, and sometimes we see things turn out the way we think they should, and sometimes they don't, and God, we just admit to you today we don't understand it. 
But we know this, you've told us to pray. And so as your kids, we just collectively in our hearts right now, in our souls, we look to you. We lift up someone that every, probably everybody in this place or almost everyone in this place knows and, and enjoys. We lift up Gary to you today. And we, we ask you, Father, as he's down at Mount Sinai right now and the doctors are trying to figure out what to do and they're putting in this filter to try to catch some of the blood clots and medication for others. And Lord, we ask this, would you just... Would you just wrap your arms around him right now? I know he's, he's discouraged and he's, he's questioning and he's, he's nervous about the future. And, and so, Lord, we just ask you, would you just wrap your arms around him right now? And you give us a promise in your word. You said that we could come to you when we have needs and that you would give us a peace that's greater than all our capacities to understand. And so, Lord, we ask for the peace of God that surpasses all understanding to to guard Gary and Debbie's heart and mind in Christ Jesus in this moment. And then we ask this, Lord. We ask that you would heal him. Use the surgeons. Thank you for giving them incredible abilities and and genius. That's only because of your creative genius that that comes from you. They're they're stamped with your image. It's the only way they can do that because you created people that are just brilliant And so, Lord, use them to to help them this morning. But beyond that, God, for the blood clots and the the back that's not recovering right and the legs that aren't responding. Lord, beyond that, we know this. You're the healer. And the doctors can do surgery. They can try to fix things, but they can't make his body get recovered. They can't make his body heal. So as your kids, we we know you can. And you are the healer. So as your kids, we just come to you today and we pray, God, would you heal Gary? Would you touch his body? Would you remove those clots? Would you heal that spine so that he can be up and about again? And Lord, hold Debbie in your hands. Help her just to feel your grace in this moment. So Father, as your church family, we thank you for the the power of prayer, the opportunity of prayer. And we ask, Lord, would you help us now to see your activity in their lives, in our family, the church family's life, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying with me this morning. We'll do our best to keep you posted. I know if you're not on the church um, uh, page, what's it called, on our website, our community page. If you're on our Facebook community page, you need to be. A lot of times I share things with people, I say, this is going on, they go, I didn't know that. Well, there's no way we can take a phone and call everybody, right? But we have a a Portview community, Facebook community page. That's where we share all our information. So all that stuff's been out there for the last two weeks about Gary. If you sat there and go, I didn't even know. So that's all. We put that on there so that you can be aware of what's going on and you can pray and you can get involved and sometimes it's how we do meal trains and that different kind of stuff. Um, and so I encourage you to just to get on that so you can, you can know what's going on in our church family. Okay? Okay? So I know it's kind of a bummer, right? I just kind of like sucked the air out of the room. I hope I didn't do that, suck the air out of the room, because it's not about sucking the air out of the room. It says God is a great God, and, and it's just we get the privilege of praying 
But the Bible is true. When one hurts, we all hurt, right? So we're hurting with them right now. And with other things going on in other people's lives, there's a, there's a, there's a, a reality that we experience when people hurt in our church family. So, well, today being the day that we celebrate Veterans Day, um, it got me to thinking about a quality that often we think about in regards to soldiers. It's interesting, Pastor Paul and I didn't share notes at all, and, and he opened up the service, and, and I'm thinking, hey, dude, don't sue my sermon. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I was thinking about a quality, just to introduce our time together this morning, that of, of people in the military, and those who were in the military, and you know, I've got a son who was one, they'll kind of laugh at me when I say this, and say, hey, I've been in the military. That's not necessarily what you see, right? But there's some, some generalities that I think are true and some qualities of people who would be willing to go into the military and be willing to serve in the military. And I know some in, in this place were at a time in our country where you weren't willing to go, but you were asked to go. And so, and, and you did, and you did go, and, and, and there was things that weren't, weren't fair about that. And, and, but there's a quality that I, that I think that most of us military in the military or not in the military, but when we think about the military, we think about. And it's this quality, the quality of self-giving. You know, I know when we think about soldiers, the image that we have is usually young men or young women in a video. It's interesting because the video is as many women as there are men. Um, so it's not just young men, young men and young women who are, we think of this, they're the tough, that they're ready to go to combat. They're usually wearing camouflage, right? That's what we think of when we think of people in the, in the military. Um, but there's a quality that usually exists, I think, beneath all that, because the person without this quality probably wouldn't choose that direction, and it's the quality of self-giving, that quality of self-sacrificing. You know, think about it, what a soldier does. A soldier willingly signs up to defend our country. They take an oath to do it, correct? Those of you in the military, you swore an oath to protect our country. And by doing that, you give up your rights to make some decisions. You give, your right, you give up your rights to decide where you're going to go, when you go, and what you're going to do once you get there. They tell you when they get up, when to go to bed, and when to go to the bathroom. Right? They, they're, they're, they tell you everything. You kind of give those things up. For, for what? For a greater cause. You become part of something that's bigger than yourself. And so there's a quality, an element of self-giving that we recognize when we think of people who go into the military. And I want us to think about that quality today. Because that quality isn't just a soldier quality. That quality is a Christian. Understand what a... Um, let's remember something today. The way we understand what a Christian is, is we look at Christ. Right? You want to understand how, you're, how it is to be, the, be a Christian, what the, the perfect Christian looks like? We look at Jesus. Jesus is the perfect human. And in him we see the example of what our lives can be like. We'll never be perfect, but what can be like as we follow him and surrender our lives to him and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out through the word of God and through interacting with the kingdom of God and people of God. If we allow ourselves to grow, we become more like Jesus. See, Jesus is our example. Jesus is the perfect human. Interestingly, a lot of times we'd say it like this, Jesus was the perfect human. Jesus is every bit as alive right now as he's ever been. Jesus is the perfect human. Yes, he's also God, and that's a mystery 
that's revealed in Scripture. And sometimes Scripture reveals things that, that are I can't really put my hands around, my mind around. Jesus is the perfect human, and Jesus also is completely, perfectly God. He's fully God and fully human. And for the early church fathers, what they tried to do, a lot of our creeds, we're trying to explain that. Trying to say, yes, he's fully God, yes, he's fully human. So when we look at Jesus, we find revealed to us what God is like. We look at Jesus and we discover qualities of God. But also as we look at Jesus, we find the picture of the perfect human being and we discover the qualities of a perfect human being. Now, Jesus is the perfect person because of something that's a little bit different than all of us or a lot of bit different than all of us. He has something, or I should say he doesn't have something that every other human being has. And that's a sin nature. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, according to revealed in Scripture, does not have a nature of sin. Scripture teaches us that since Adam, all people have been altered, have been fractured because of the reality of sin in our world. That, that sin in the world affects everything. The Bible says it affects creation. Scripture says this, creation has been groaning as in the process of the pains of childbirth right up to this present time, that creation is groaning, it says, because of the reality of sin in our world. Creation, sin affects the world. Sin affects us. Sin affects everything in our existence. The reality of sin and that fallen nature affects how we feel, how we act, how we experience life and love and loss. All of that is affected by sin in the world. Yes, at salvation, when you come to Jesus, Scripture teaches that you get a brand new nature. It says your sin nature is the chains of it are broken, and now the righteousness of Christ is imputed or given to you. And the chains of sin nature are broken so that now we can find freedom in our lives to be formed in Christ's likeness. Yes, sin is the chains are broken, but sin still affects us. The Apostle Paul describes it like this. He wrote this. But I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. And for what I am not practicing, I am not practicing what I'd like to, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. And he's talking about this internal battle going on in his life. A, de- a desire to do what is right and best, yet a pull to do what is wrong. Yes, he knows he's walking with Christ and he has the, the nature of Christ within him and he's saved and he's set free from the nature of sin, but still sin in this world is affecting him and it's affecting him deeply, so much so that there's a battle going on within him. Can I give you a little side note on this? As I was writing this, I was thinking, I was talking to, to the Austins about this this morning. I think the greatest thing about eternity, the promise of eternity, of a, of a new heaven and a new earth, it's going to be beautiful, it's going to be better than all of, I know all that. I think the greatest thing is not wrestling with the reality of the effects of sin. No self-righteousness where, where I think I'm better. No pride, no... Um, out-of-control ego, no battle with lust, no battle with anger, no battle with fear. All those things that affect our every single day. Fuffles. The little, the little you know this word, 
Leah, your dad knows this word, kerfuffles. The little kerfuffles you have with people. The little dust-ups you have with people. Sometimes they're big dust-ups. With all those issues, none of that. Because we will, we will not have that sin nature that's causing me to have to guard me in order to fight against you. None of that. All of it's gone. Can you imagine? I would say this. You can't imagine. And I can't imagine the reality of what it will be like to live without the negative, continual, every moment of every day influence of sin. We can't imagine it, but the scripture promises that's our future. Go back to our topic. For us here and now, sin is a reality that we have to wrestle with, like Paul wrestled with it. Sin nature, yeah, that's broken in Christ, but yes, the reality of sin is still real. But for Jesus, that battle doesn't exist. Jesus, being the Son of God, does not have that sin nature that we have, and therefore, he is able to live the perfect life. And Scripture reveals what Jesus, how Jesus lived out the perfect human existence. So when we look at Christ in Scripture, we see what, this is what God wants us to see, what can be as we desire to move forward with Jesus. He's the perfect picture of perfection. And we look at Jesus, we see in Christ, in Christ what we are moving toward, what we can be as we cooperate with the activity of the Holy Spirit. And although we'll never be perfect, Jesus is what we aim for. And one of the main things we see about Jesus, one of the main things we would aim for, is see that Jesus is self-giving. Jesus, a description of Jesus, is self-giving. Just think about it. And I know we can't even barely scratch the surface of understanding Jesus. But just think about Jesus being self-giving, how he reveals that through his life as recorded in Scripture. Think about this reality, that Jesus has eternally existed in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This perfect relationship, again, that we can't really even grasp because there's no sin influence but perfect harmony, perfect love, perfect respect, full joy with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus willingly gave that up to enter into our sin-corrupt world as a man himself with all the limitations that came along with that. That's self-giving. Or think about how Jesus, when he agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane, and remember this, when he's agonizing in the garden and he's sweating drops of blood and he's in agony and he's saying to his disciples, couldn't you even pray with me for one hour? He knows what's coming. At that moment, he's Jesus, fully man, but he's also fully God. And as God, he is able to do anything. Scripture says that Jesus, that the world was created and is sustained by Jesus. That our world right now is sustained by Jesus. And Jesus can do anything. And what's the anything that he chose to do in Gethsemane? He chose to be self-giving. He gave up his will, his desire to be pain-free. Remember, he literally said in the garden to the Father in prayer, God, I'd take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. I don't want to face the pain. I don't want to face the death. And he said, but not my will, but thine be done. He, his will was to not walk through, the, through the, the torture of the cross. But yet he said, not my will, but thine be done. And he gave himself, self-giving, he gave himself. And think about the ultimate example. Jesus willingly going to the cross 
to give his life in the place of every human being ever born. When he stood before Judas and that crowd that came with swords and clubs that night to arrest him, and one of the disciples took a sword out and he struck the high priest's servant's ear and cut off his ear, what did Jesus do? He said, stop, put away your swords. And he said this, do you think that I could not appeal to my father and he will at, at once, at this moment, put to at my disposal more than 6,000 angels? He says, listen, 6,000 angels would come right now and take care of me if I wanted them to. But he chose. He had the ability to be free, the ability to keep from being arrested, the ability to keep from being crucified. Yet he chose to willingly sacrifice himself for the good of, of you. Looks good of me and the good of all humanity. Friends, that's what self-giving looks like. So now we have this picture of Jesus. We have a picture of self-giving, of one who is willing to give of himself for the benefit of others. And as I've said, that Jesus then serves us as an example for us to follow, a desire to become more like that, although we'll never be perfect, a desire to become more like that. Um, as, as he is self-giving, we desire to be people then who are self-giving. Well, here's where the problem comes in. Like Paul who wrote, I struggle, I battle. And unlike Jesus, I still have a battle with, an, with a sin nature. I really want to do what makes me feel good and what benefits me. And if we're all honest with ourselves, it's true about each and every one of us in this room. We still really want to do what's just best for me. And you want to do what's best for you. Well, then how in the world do we become developed in becoming more like Jesus and be self-giving? How do we live lives in ways and act in ways that are self-giving? In the past, I would have said, and you might say today, and you might tell us to somebody else, the way that you would be self-giving is this means try harder. Grit your teeth, put yourself second, and just try harder. Decided to do your best because it's the right thing to do. Just do what's right. Put others first. Am I correct? That's how you would do it? Just grit your teeth and try harder. That's how I become more like Jesus. Do you know that's not why and how Jesus is self-giving? That's not at all how Jesus is self-giving? He didn't just grit his teeth hard. Now he wrestled, right? God, not, I don't want to drink this cup but not my will, but thine be done. But you know how Jesus, listen to what Jesus said about how come he, how he is self-giving. Listen to what it says about Jesus. It says this. Looking only at Jesus, the originator, it's in Hebrews 12, looking only at Jesus, the originator and the perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So who for the joy set before him became self-giving? Jesus was self-giving, it says for a reason, for the joy set before him. What's that mean? What's, what's the author of Hebrews saying here about Jesus to give us insight about Jesus? Because if we get insight in Jesus, we have insight into ourselves. It says this, he gave of himself 
because he knew the joy it would bring. It wasn't altruistic, necessarily. He understood there was a benefit in it for him. The benefit, and there was benefit for others. There was a benefit in being self-giving. It brought joy to Jesus to sit down at the Father's right hand and it was done. It brought joy, he saw the end. It brought joy to, so heaven is our end. It brings joy to us to know what can, what's coming. It brought joy to him to know that his sacrifice, his suffering was for your freedom. It brought joy to him to know that as he suffered, you and I benefit. I've heard it said like this, that Jesus saw your face when he hung on the cross and that that brought him joy. That his self-sacrificing, there was a benefit, there was a joy. Jesus was self-giving because he knew that as he gave of himself, something much greater, much better, much fuller would result. It wasn't, it isn't about getting your, just, just gritting your teeth and doing what's right. It's also knowing that your sacrifice produces something so much better in you and for others. And that's the great benefit of being self-giving. That, that's why a military person is self-giving. That's why it's recorded in John 12, 24 that Jesus himself said this. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it's self-giving, it remains fruit. But if it dies, it gives itself, it bears much fruit. Self-giving bears much fruit. Jesus' heart was filled with joy, it says, in the midst of the pain of suffering, in the middle of self-giving because he knew the wonderful results of his actions that would come because he gave himself. We find that, that giving of ourselves to others and to God and to God's mission gives us joy that, listen friends, that a self-centered life will never give you. Our culture will challenge you, will challenge you just to be self-centered. Make all your decisions for what's good about you. Scripture shows us and Jesus shows us that our giving of ourselves to others, our giving of ourselves to God, our giving ourselves to the mission of God, gives us a joy that self-centeredness never can give. That's what we see in Jesus. So then the thought is this. So what's that look like? in our ordinary lives. What's that look like? Because probably you and I are not going to be faced with a situation where we're praying in a garden with a bunch of friends because we know some people are going to come and they're going to come with those swords and clubs and they're going to take us and they're going to beat us and they're going to nail us to a cross so we die. You're probably not going to face that. So what does it look like to be self-giving in kind of our ordinary lives? I'm glad you asked. I want us to look at a story in Scripture that's recorded in all four Gospels. There's not many of the scriptural stories recorded in all four Gospels. We're going to look at John 6. And the story we're going to look at in John, the reason we're looking at John, because it's in all four of the Gospels, is because John adds a detail that the other three Gospels do not add. And it's that detail that I want us to look at today. So I'm going to read this story from John 6, the first 14 verses, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, Galilee or Tiberias. 
A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up and on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing the large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, who is one of his disciples, Where are we to buy bread so that all these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread, which is basically 200 days wages of bread, is not sufficient for them, for everyone just to receive a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down in a number of about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed them those to who were seated, likewise also to the fish as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so nothing will be left over. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had, by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which had performed, they said, this is truly a prophet who has come into the world. Now, does anybody know what detail John added there that the other Gospels didn't? It's this, that the fish and the bread came from a little boy. So there was a lad there. The other three stories of this, recordings of this, don't, don't record that a little boy a lad was the one who had the five loaves and two fish. Here we have Jesus telling his disciples to feed 5,000 men plus the women and the children, and all they can find is one little boy with five loaves and two fish. And here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, so Peter found him with five loaves and two fish, and because he's a little boy, he grabbed his lunch, pushed him on the ground, and said, we need what you have, give it to me. It doesn't say that, right? No. Rather, it's implied, it doesn't say it, but it's implied that the boy willingly gave what he had. That there was a huge need, they were looking for food, they found a little boy with five loaves and two fish, and the little boy said, hey, I got a lunch. Not much, but I got five loaves and two fish. Something that the boy was self-giving. He gave away something that was his in order to benefit Someone who other than himself, he was self-giving. And what was the result? 5,000 plus people, really more like probably 15,000 people, because it said 5,000 men and all the women and the children, so maybe 20,000 people, who knows, experienced a miracle. And it says at the end there, they saw the miracle which had been performed. And they said, truly, this is the prophet come into the world. They understood this is a miracle. One boy's lunch fed 5,000 men and all the women and all the children. But here's the question to think about. What effect do you think that had on the boy? What effect do you think it had on the little boy who gave his lunch? I guarantee you, in however many years he lived after being a little lad until he became an old man, he told that story thousands of times. Oh, yeah, 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 you think you know Jesus. You think you know Jesus. I know Jesus. See, one day he was by this, this mass of people, 20,000 people, and there was no food, and somebody, somebody had a lunch and gave, guess who that somebody was? 
That was me. I gave my lunch. And Jesus fed 20,000 people with it. It is most likely that that event literally changed the course of that lad's life. Certainly, he became a follower of Jesus after seeing what Jesus did with his lunch. They all saw it was a miracle. He couldn't deny it. He knew it was his lunch. He knew there was no sleight of hands here. He knew there was another pot somewhere else filled with loaves and fishes. He said, no, that was my lunch, and now 5,000 men and all the women and children ate with it. Friends, here's the point. His self-giving blessed other people, and it brought joy and fulfillment and purpose into his life. He gave himself. He gave of himself. He sacrifices. He could have said, hey, guess what? There's no food in this place. I got my lunch. Right? Go hide in the corner somewhere and eat my loaf and fishes and go, oh, I'm, I'm so hungry like the rest of you. He could have done that. Have you ever done that? Something like that? There's only one granola bar in a car? Right? And you got to get gas? And the other person goes outside, <laughs> eat the granola bar, I'm so hungry. We all do stuff like that. Jesus didn't do that. And this little boy, he chose to not do that. That's what self-giving does. Yes, we give of ourselves and sacrifice hurts. It, it hurt Jesus to sacrifice, to give of himself. It hurts. And yes, we do it a lot of times because it's the right thing to do. But way more importantly than what it will cost us, and way more importantly than just because it's the right thing to do, we act like Jesus we are self-sacrificing because it, it, it changes us and it blesses others and it changes ourselves and it blesses us. When we give of ourselves, it's a biblical principle. It's a Christian principle. Self-giving pays dividends to you and the people you sacrifice for. It's why Jesus could say this. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We say that, but we don't believe it a lot of times. It's more blessed to give than to receive, but I want that. God's trying to show us something here. There's a better way to live. There's a richer, fuller, more, more, more fulfilling, life-changing way to live. And Jesus is the perfect example, and we're supposed to look at Jesus and say, I want to be like that. Well, a lot of times, we want to be like Jesus when he's laying hands on healing people, but we want to be like Jesus when he's saying, not my will, but thine be done. But it's in the not my will, but thine be done that the miracles happen. Not just for the other people, but for everybody involved, the one making the sacrifice. Jesus, it says, was full of joy. For the joy set before him. He's full of joy. He despised the shame. Endured the cross. It's why Jesus could say, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Giving ourselves away is people. Is a, is a blessing to us and to other people. The worship team would come. So how is God, friends, honestly inviting us to be self-giving. How's he inviting you to be self-giving? 
when we give of our time, of our energy, of our resources for the good of others, what this is showing from Scripture is that blessings result. They result for others, but they also result for you. Good comes out of our our self-giving. As a church family, my hope is that we're constantly growing in Christ-likeness. So that, when, so that between us as a church family members, we experience this, but also when God brings other people in and we bring other people in, they experience something different among us than they do amongst a group of people at the whatever other gathering there is that's not centered on Christ. That we experience a group of people saying, you know what, I'm not just in it for me. It's not just about me. The question is, what's good for them? How, how may I help? What can I do? What could I? And you can say, but you know, if you do that, it costs you something. It does. It costs a little boy his lunch. It costs Jesus his life. But look what the results were. The little boy and Jesus, if you could ask him afterwards, do you regret that you gave of yourself? They'd say, oh, not for a minute. Not for a minute. Little boy would say, changed my life. Jesus would say, I changed your life. So our lives are Christian lives of self-giving. Giving ourselves away. Our resources, our energies, our efforts, our, our love. It's the, it's the path to joy. As a church family, I hope our, our passion, more than anything else, is to become more like Jesus in all these various ways. And this is one of the ways we desire to become more like Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you're amazing. And we we understand that we're not you. Lord Jesus, we tried to talk about that today and I, Lord, I'm sure I didn't, I could have done a better job, but Lord, the reality of just saying that we're not like you in the fact that we wrestle with the sin nature and you don't, but you still live in the world of sin, but, but that you set us free from that, but that there's still a wrestling match going on. And so Lord, we know that we're going to struggle. We know that we're not going to always do it right. But Lord, we we see the image, the reality of who you are here in in Scripture. And God, we want to be like you. Lord Jesus, I just imagine what our lives would be like as a church family, what our home lives would be like. if we surrendered to you and said we want to give of ourselves we, we, want to, we want to use our life energies and our life resources to help other people and we knew it would cost us I just imagine I, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like how wonderful it would be if we really did that all the time what joy would be in our homes what joy would fill our homes 
Joy would fill our workplaces. Joy would fill our church. Lord, that's what we want. So Holy Spirit, today we're open. So we're praying, friends, and our eyes are closed. I want you to just extend your hands out in front of you, just your palms up, a sign of openness. Surrender. Holy Spirit, we're open to the transforming work that you want to do inside of our hearts. We want, to, we want to be changed. We want to grow. We want to develop into the men and women you want to be. You have a picture in your heart of what you intended for us to be since the creation of the world. You knew what a Christ-like mark looks like. You knew what a Christ-like Gary looks like. continue to be formed in your image and be fulfill that. So right now with our hearts surrendered before you, just this gesture, Lord, of saying, I'm open. We ask you, Holy Spirit, would you lead us in paths that help us to grow? What that means is we know that means you're going to lead us in the situations where we have to make a choice to give of ourselves or to be or to not give of ourselves. And I ask you for this gift for when that next opportunity arises and it might be before we walk out of the doors of the church. It might be on the ride home. It might be deciding who gets to watch what on TV, whatever it is in the afternoon. I don't know what it is. But Lord, I ask you for this gift. Would you bring to our mind a remembrance when we're faced with a decision that's really a decision of saying I can be self-giving or I can be self-centered that you would alert us to it. Because, Lord, I think so many times we walk through those, I walk through those, and I don't even know, I don't even think about it. I just automatically default to the wrong. Would you give us the gift, Holy Spirit, as we're open to you, or we're we're saying we're surrendered to you, that today and, and tomorrow and the day after, you would just alert us you would show us, hey, you're in a spot right now like the little boy in the story with the 5,000. You have something that can, that can change lives and, and by giving away can change our life. That you have something, your time, a resource, or whatever that something might be. And then we get to choose, are we going to hide it or are we going to give it? Holy Spirit, I'm just asking for that gift for us that today and tomorrow and the day after, you would just speak really loudly into our hearts. And we'd go, oh, here's an opportunity. I have a chance. I have a choice. I have a choice to make. Self-giving or self-serving. And that by your strength, through your spirit, by your empowerment, we would make right choices and that we'd see amazing things happen in the lives of others and our hearts would be filled with joy. 
So God, that's the prayer I pray for our family today, our church family, for every one of us in this place. Those were an attitude of prayer. It's a private moment, not looking around. Maybe you're here today and you've never yet come to Jesus. You've never yet come to Him and asked Him to forgive your sins and give you a brand new life in Him. You're kind of on the outside looking in and something inside of you is saying, this is what I need. This is what I've been longing for my whole life. I didn't even know I was looking, but this is what I need. Maybe you're online and you're, you're listening. You're saying, this is what I need. And the reason you feel that way is because the Spirit of God Himself is in this moment. And he's calling your name. Scripture says that God communicates usually through a whisper. He's just that still small voice inside of you that's saying, come to me. And if inside of your heart right now you've never given your life to Jesus, but you're ready to say, I want to be a, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I, want, I, need my, I need my life turned around. I need my sins forgiven. I need a brand new start. And I'm hearing that Jesus is the way. The Bible says he's the way, the truth, and the life. Do something. And you're ready to say yes to Jesus today in this private moment. I'm going to ask you to do something. Just between you, me, and God, because right now I'm the only one looking around. If you say, Pastor Mark, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus, I want you to do something, to do something that's an action. I won't call you or embarrass you, but an action that says, I'm making a movement towards God to say yes. I want you just to raise your hand up. And when I see your hand up, raised up, I'm going to, okay. You can put it down. Anybody else? Raise your hands up. Okay. You can put it down. Anybody else? Hands across this place. Church, we're going to pray together again. This time I'm going to ask you to do it a little different. We're going to pray out loud. Invite everybody. If you've asked Christ in your life already, just join us in this prayer. Those of you who have said yes to Jesus this morning, I want you to to just pray along, and there's nothing magical about these words. This is just you from your heart talking to the Lord, and I'm just kind of guiding you along. We're all going to pray together. So let's pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I need you. I can't make it on my own. got junk in my life and I want to be forgiven so today I come to you I'm responding to you I feel you calling me so today I'm saying yes to that calling Jesus I want to be your follower So from this day forward, I'm giving my life to you. I want to live with you. I want to walk with you. I want to become like you. So I'm turning away from my old life, and I'm walking with you from this day forward. So now forgive me of my sins. Wipe away the junk. Fill my heart with your love. 
fill me with the presence of your Holy Spirit so that I can live a brand new life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Look at me, everyone. You did that today. Something really very real has happened in your life. God's calling you, but he gives us, he gives us the opportunity to wait to say yes to him. We say yes to him. You've said yes to the creator of the world. He can do anything. He's going to help you. He's going to guide you. He's going to lead you from this day forward. I want. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Before the sun goes down tonight, I want you to tell somebody that you know as a follower of Jesus that, hey, I said yes to Jesus today. Because what it's going to do, it's going to, it's going to cement it into your soul. And it's going to give that person permission to say, hey, how you doing? How you doing with your walk with Jesus? Because we're a family. We're doing this together. Amen, church?